Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories from ending emotional abuse and taking your life back. I'm your host, Carrie Beach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I'm a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within us if we have the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the entire story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you unlock your perfect version of it. Join us for season two, where we follow four extremely courageous women who share their stories of what it actually takes to get to the other side of trauma and abuse. Through their stories, you will know that you are not alone, that shame only grows in secret, and that it does get better on the other side. By hearing their stories, you will gain insight, tools, and practical ways that you can access the power inside of you. All of the magic is waiting for you, and we simply need to tap into it. These women will give you the courage and strength to find your freedom. Let's dive in. Uh, my name is Olivia Chapman. I am the co-founder and COO of Inner Glow Circle, and we are an online coaching and training program, which is kind of how I met you, Carrie, like through the coaching world. Um, I'm also uh, a mother of two sons. They're two and four, and um, a single mother at that. I'm Shelby Lee. I currently live in Bend, Oregon, where I just returned home to after many years. I've been spending the last couple of years in Bali, mostly, some in Spain and Mexico, a little in Cambodia. I've been all over the place. And uh, I work, I'm so fortunate to work mostly online. I'm a somatic psychotherapist and a coach, and I teach trauma awareness to organizations and people all over the world. So I feel really lucky to be able to connect in this way through this platform. And uh, yeah, I love my work and I'm just passionate about getting more and more people in the world uh, awareness so that more and more folks can feel safe and cared for and really be able to um, give their gifts in the way that they were meant to. And that really comes out of my own history and not feeling like I was going to be able to do that and realizing that with the right support, I could. And so I'm really inspired to do the work I do and to get to share conversations like this with you. So my name is Elizabeth Claire DeLune and I am currently a love relationship and sexuality coach for moms. And I specifically focus on women who have had toxic relationships in their past. So helping them really recover from all of that, process the emotions, process the wounding, and move them into thriving and achieving their desires. Um, I ended up working with a fair amount of people who are building businesses themselves. Um, A lot of people who are really um, distraught at the the type of relationship that they have with their kids um, as a result of right? Having this toxic ex who's often the father of their children or, right? It depends on the situation, but so um, really helping to um, them to do the inner work necessary to build that stable home life that they are actually desiring and to build the relationships they really desire. Um, Also romantic relationships. Um, So having 
a lot of at least one toxic relationship or perhaps multiple or perhaps even starting with parents often um, it really affects your ability to have a healthy partnership. Um, and it can be an invitation to what's coming up in the partnership. It can be an invitation to heal all of, all of those wounds as well. Um, so I help people do that. Uh, and this all started from my, my own journey, my own awakening out of a, um, 15 year long relationship with a covert narcissist. So I am Sarah Rhiannon. I am a hypnotherapist for narcissistic abuse survivors, and I work with women specifically who are recovering from abuse within an intimate partnership. Tell us a bit about where you were at the beginning of this journey. Olivia. So at the beginning of this journey, it's funny when I saw that question, I was like, where, I don't know how to define the beginning, but I think for me, like the beginning of the end is where I'm going to define the beginning. Okay. Um, it was actually about two years ago, really, that I could feel like the relationship that I was in was falling apart. Um, I kept like figuring things out and sometimes accidentally, sometimes through like, I think in a past life, I might've been a private investigator or a detective, but <laughs> I, I just started feeling like I was being lied to and manipulated in my relationship. Um, the man that I was with, the father of my children, who I will preface this whole thing by saying, you know, we have a great co-parenting relationship at this point and it's been a while of um, like healing and going to therapy and being able to openly talk about everything that we've gotten to a really positive place in our relationship. And so, um, and I've actually talked to him about recording this and doing this interview and, you know, he was very open to me sharing the pieces of the story, even though we don't agree on how it went down in some of the situations, but he knew that you know, he knew what I was doing in a career when we were together. Right. And so he sure. always knew that eventually some of this was going to come out and, you know, he's accepted that that's what he has to live with. Or so he tells me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to put this in good light. Like I want my story to not be seen as like depressing or how horrible he is, but really what I've found out of all of this is that it's like a lesson in your intuition and, and, trusting yourself. And I think um, as women who identify as empaths, we often are attracted to men who have narcissistic qualities or who are narcissists or who find us easy to manipulate. And I was that person. So, and I'm still careful to try to not be. So um, anyway, I started catching on to little things. I remember one of the real times when I was like, what is going on here was like around the time I was about to give birth to my second son. Um, and I just kept feeling like something was off, but I would blame the pregnancy. I would blame the hormones. I would blame, blame also having a two-year-old at the time. Um, but I just kept stumbling on things and even little lies over and over. And then I'd always be convinced like, oh, I just had to lie to you because, um, like, I didn't want you to be mad at me or, you know, you're already under so much stress, like with the kids and being pregnant and going to business. And, but it just kept adding up so much, like really, really in the last like two years. Um, and I just kept, I, I just kept believing him and really convincing myself I was wrong. Um, 
But essentially he had convinced me, like when I started calling him out for all these little like things I was suspicious about or little white lies that, you know, he had got, I think he knew that I was catching on and ultimately like convinced me that I was unstable. Mm. Um, and then I, you know, the, the darkest part after that was really like blaming myself for everything. Mm. Well, especially when you're pregnant, I I imagine I have never been pregnant, but just hormones all over the place. Like, well, that was like it was like the, I I mean, not the perfect timing, but kind of like, uh, I don't know how to what the right phrase is, but it was like the perfect storm, really. You know, sure, Shelby. So when I first turned towards my healing path. I'll call it that. Um, I, I was, I was in my early twenties. It probably started before then, but really started, uh, waking up and being devoted to figuring out how to cause less suffering in my own life. Mm. That really came through finding Buddhism, through finding meditation and a community of people who, were of similar age in the Buddhist community who were also really, really suffering and really lost. I was super anxious using drugs and alcohol a lot to cope, using relationships to cope and um, really sad. I was, I don't remember a day I didn't cry from maybe the age of 11 to my late twenties. And I had felt like I tried everything. I, I started with therapy and um, it was good, but it, it wasn't fixing much. And, um, it wasn't, I learned later, we, it just wasn't the right kind of therapy <laughs> and meditation and that community really gave me something to live for. Mm-hmm. I found friends. I found a sense of belonging. I found a teacher who was being really honest and real about the suffering that exists in life. I had I had been stuck for so long be, believing like everyone else was happy. Mm-hmm. It was me and I was broken. But through the lens of what my teacher was offering me, I was like, oh, this is just human? Okay. <laughs> okay, now I can just like breathe a little bit more. And from that journey, you know, it took me to um, lots of things, yoga, breath work, um, finding uh, my own foot in the healing world. Like I loved going to uh, my NLP coaching session. So I became an NLP coach and then I wanted to learn more about trauma. So I became a somatic psychotherapist and then I wanted to learn about sex and love. So then I got a certification and it just kind of spiraled. And I feel like I've just had my hands in a thousand things, both trying to feel better for myself, trying to understand what happened and, and how to heal and then really loving so much that I found that I wanted to bring it to other people. I love that. And I think what I love the most and that I relate to and that I talk to so many women around is that piece of the humanness, like that there's nothing wrong or broken in you, but we're so conditioned to believe that everyone has this secret that we don't have. And if we could just figure out what they have that we don't have, like, then we would be okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I've been really, uh, 
program to just be longing. It always felt like something was missing and that it was something broken in me. And really it was, that's what I did in order to cope because um, there was nothing wrong with me. But when I was in my family of origin and it was chaotic for me and I wasn't getting my needs met, I couldn't tell myself it was the people around me because then I would feel extra unsafe. Yeah. And so I made it be about me. And I carried that for a long time. And I still run into that sometimes. <laughs> sure. That whole human thing. <laughs> yeah. Coming into the world uh, with parents who, who didn't really, they definitely loved me and cared for me and did the absolute best they could. But I was such a sensitive being. And I think I came in with a lot of inherited trauma. And so I was already really anxious, <laughs> I think, when I came in and my parents, it was mostly my mom didn't have any idea how to, how to support it because I think she was also carrying some inherited trauma Mm -hmm. and didn't, she was quite anxious herself and really focused on doing things perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I had to help her uphold that experience of doing things perfectly, which put me in an extra anxious and shut down position. Um, and then, you know, my, I lost my father at three, really, uh, we left because I lost him to addiction. Mm. And then I had a series of stepfathers. Some of them were fine enough, but I didn't really like them very much. Uh, the middle one was awful, just deeply terrorizing, which was what put me into the closet mm. at 11. And Actually, I grew up um, riding horses really, really competitively, English show jumping. And that was a gift and a resource for me. And also um, the trainers shame trained us. And so every day from the age of five, I was screamed at Mm. about how I could do better, how stupid I was, how my, my pony or my horse wasn't cooperating and they would um they would really verbally abuse us and physically abuse our horses to try to get us to where they wanted us to be which was the olympics you know and my mom rode with me and so i saw her getting that too and so it sort of made it okay but also really awful to see my mom not standing up for herself or me mm-hmm. and so i just internalized like yep no self worth is what we're doing here, you know? And I mean, to the point where we would dye our hair because we're blondes in order to join certain trainers in their clinics um, because they would call us stupid otherwise. You know, it's so bad. But for years I was like, what? I ride horses. I grew up with plenty of resources and money. Like I'm not, I wasn't traumatized. Like those are those other people. And I don't have a right to be suffering because I had enough Mm. and I had more than enough. And so that was shame layered on top of trauma, which caused trauma. Um, And then there was all the things I did to myself in my teens and my twenties, just to reinforce that I was worthless Mm. and um, frightened and really needing love, but didn't know how to get it. Mm -hmm. And then most, most recently, a few years ago, I lost my father for, for good to suicide, which was super painful. And mm. probably brought me the most healing I could have asked for and the most grief I could have ever imagined. Mm. 
we hadn't spoken for about 10 years. And then I spoke to him the day before and then he was gone. And so just the trauma of what I did to myself, wondering if I could have helped or could have known. And if it was my fault in some way, it was just the worst. And so this is really a story of complex PTSD. There was a lot. And, um, I'm proud. I'm proud that I've come this far. I never thought I would have. I didn't think I'd make it at all to my late 30s. I was sure I would be done in my 20s. And so that is resilience. And and I feel so grateful for all of the ways that I've been helped and continue to be helped. I mean, that brings me tears because I think that's so beautiful of a of a gift of of all the people and the the places along the way that saw you and believed in you when you had the odds stacked against you and to have to to experience such a traumatic event um with your father of the questions there so i just i want to say like oh, i see you and there there are no good words in that Mm-mm. Yeah, thank you. There aren't. And so I didn't talk about it for years, especially publicly, because they want people to feel traumatized by hearing it. But what I feel more these days is that I'm learning a lot of people have lost parents and family members to suicide and they don't talk about it. And a lot of people do this to themselves. Yeah. And I just need people to know they're not alone and I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of our biggest human needs, right? We need to know we're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of all we need. I mean, obviously we need more than that, but it really does kind of boil down to that. It's like the need to be seen and to to understand that there's other people experiencing what we're experiencing. Yeah. Connection really is the deepest medicine and, and to know that it makes so much sense when people have a hard time connecting to give us all the time we need (laughs) to get there. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and willing to share that. Mm, You're welcome. I feel really honored to be part of this project. I heard it for the first time and was like, oh, you're speaking my language. And I feel so just moved by your mission and your work in the world. Elizabeth. So I was, oh, okay. Oh, so it's such a long story, right? It's like, how far back, how far back do you want? <laughs> right? um, and um, so I got involved when I was 18 with um, my high school English teacher. Um, so that was my ex. And I was technically 18, but I was still in school, totally sketch, um, but was totally, you know, did not care. Um, I was always a really good girl and very smart. Uh, totally trying to prove my worth through how smart I was in academics and uh, really felt like saved and rescued by this person. Mm. Um, And, you know, that is a pattern that our society, I I think recently there's more information about Mm. that, that the dysfunction of that. Mm. Um, But there wasn't then. And uh, I really just wanted somebody to like, save me and, and get me out of my misery. And, 
you know, and he seemed so perfect and I felt so much better. And I just, oh, and, you know, mm-hmm. um, all those feelings of codependency <laughs> that I did not know what they were. Um, so I was involved with him starting then and um, went to college and grad school and um, did all the things, got a PhD. I really wanted to have a, a child. And so we did. And all along, we he had this um, ex. Well, at the time, it was like a marriage of convenience. And he's like, she's just my friend. It's a business agreement. She wanted to have a kid. And so like, I'm basically a sperm donor. All of the lies, right? Hmm. Um, and so this is a spiritual family. Hmm. Like, you like, we love you. She loves you. My child loves you. Right. And it was, um, became this really enmeshed, uh, very cult like situation. And there was one other adult that lived with us as well, who was like part of the spiritual family. Um, and so uh, I lived with them. And I always wanted to kind of have like a nuclear family. And um, if you know anything about narcissists or sociopaths, they do a thing called future faking where they say, oh, yeah, well, just this thing. And then we'll get, you'll get exactly what you want. Oh, yeah, well, it'll be this time or like after this happens then and you're kind of like holding out and like being a good person and you think you're being a good partner um and it's it was never going to happen like it's all just lies to keep you on the hook um and uh it's been really interesting as i've gone throughout my healing journey over the past three years because there are so many things that and that look good but were bad right to put it simply Mm-hmm. Um, fam- family is supposed to be good. Family supposed to be important. Supposed to supposed to, support supposed to be important. You're supposed to make. Um, you're supposed to believe your partner. You're supposed to right. Um, to I mean, it's been something that's been that's been coming up in my current partnership as well. That I'm like learning to remake because I have a really like healthy healing like um, conscious partnership right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these old woundings are coming up with like my own fear of trusting something like, right. Cause you're, you've been future faked for forever. And there really is a thing that happens where you're like, well, we're look, working towards this goal, towards this goal. And we're not there yet, but we can trust each other that we're on the same page. And like that trust system got destroyed, you know? And so now I'm rebuilding all of that. Um, so that's one thing that is, it should be a good thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a human desire to have family and to have belonging. Um, and I wouldn't even, I don't even have a really strong opinion on cults or anything, you know, where I think they get a a bad rap and they're probably generally unhealthy, but right. It's like these, these are these existing structures that I was inserted into. And, um, and, and I had to eventually learn that it, it felt good, but it was not good. Sarah. So at the beginning of my journey, I had been with, you know, my abusive partner or ex-partner for about a little less than a year. And I'm going to start here because there was a long progression that led up to the point where I actually left the relationship. So I would say at the beginning, it was fall of 2018 and... He had just moved out of my house and I, that's when I started to read about narcissistic abuse a little bit and started to sort of just put some pieces together. And 
even with all of that realization, it was still incredibly difficult to make the decision Mm -hmm. to leave. And it took like from that, I don't remember what day it was specifically, but it took from, you know, that month of October when I started to have that realization to March, (laughs) you know, of that next year, Mm -hmm. like it took that long for me to just go through that emotional, mental, like processing to get to the point where I was really ready to make that decision and say to him, like, like, yeah, this is over. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. terrifying. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're saying it that way because I think there's so much pressure that women can feel of having to make a decision quickly. And of course, you know, of course, there's going to be a million questions in your mind and doubts and emotions and, you know, all the things that go into making a decision like this, especially when you have been being talked to in a certain way and you are believing things and you're just questioning everything really. Absolutely. I think that it it takes time to really not just, it takes time to realize how confused you are Mm. because I was incredibly confused. Mm. Even though I knew, I knew about the cycle of abuse. I was educated. Like I've been educated on a lot of these matters for a long time. And even with that knowledge and even with all of the understanding and the personal development that I've done and the healing work that I do, I mean, I w- I've been a hypnotherapist for a few years. This yeah. was still incredibly difficult for me Mm-hmm. to reconcile and to realize just how confused I was. But once I started to unpack that confusion with a compassionate witness who, mm-hmm. I mean, it took her a little while and I'll tell, I'll tell about that in a bit because I did not initially hire her to mm-hmm. help me leave my abuser. <laughs> like, <laughs> not, like ha- But that's what ended up happening. And that's what she ended up helping me with, which is such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but unpacking that confusion really took some time and like having the information, um, didn't solve that problem for me <laughs> as, mm. as we tend to think it should, we, mm. we tend to think like, Oh, but you know, if we tend to think it's like an, it's a matter of intelligence or like awareness. And it's like, it actually has nothing to do with that in my experience, at least because I had all of those things and it didn't make that decision any easier for me. Well, and that is so true because I think about like where my brain kind of just went, which is random, but of thinking like, okay, marketing, you have to hear something how many times, right? Before it sticks. And it's not like, oh, right. And so I think it relates because this is on such a deeper level and such an important level that of course you have to hear something, experience something, be in something for so much longer for it to actually stick and take in a way that you're like, okay, this is actually something that needs changing. And, you know, the more compassion we can have for ourselves and the more grace in all areas of life, but especially in things like this, you know, because of course you didn't think something, know something once and you're like, oh, okay, now we're ready to leave. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. And yet that's kind of like, that was something I kind of beat myself up about. Of course. I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's a woman alive that hasn't, you know, because then of course, like once you're out of something, you have a completely different perspective and you can be like, why did this take so long? Why did I not see this? What? You know, and it's just like, yeah. those, like it's natural and human that we all have those thoughts. And yet that doesn't actually help us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my goodness. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and that you so enjoyed getting to meet each of these four women and their unique stories and what they bring to this season, that they are so willing and available to share their stories with you, to talk about the real and honest truth of what it looked like and what it took to set themselves free. And so we're just beginning. We're just diving in and I'm just so honored and grateful that they have chosen courage over fear, that they have chosen to do the work, the internal work to know that they are worth so much more than settling. And so on the season, they are bringing their whole selves and speaking to every woman that hears this episode and needs to hear this series. So I am honored. I am grateful. And I hope what you gain from this very first episode is just a sneak peek into who they are and what their story is. And also knowing that Although they're all different and they all bring such different perspectives to the table and have such different stories, that there's common themes that all of us want to know that we are not alone. We want to connect. It's one of our deepest human needs is to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. And so that is my mission of Anytime I I hear someone's trauma or interact with someone's story or just meet someone, I really value heart-to-heart human, human connection because there's nothing like being seen and knowing that your shame cannot grow. It can only grow in secret. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you this week after listening to this episode and in the upcoming episodes is to figure out the places and the stories of your own that maybe you're hiding from, that you're feeling embarrassed around or you're feeling shame around and find those safe spaces, find the safe people because it's probably not jumping on to share it on the internet with a bunch of strangers, um, but it's finding the places to process and to know that you are worthy of whatever it is that you desire. And so I just know the power of vulnerability and being seen and not being judged. It is completely priceless and will change your life. So try it on this week. If you've never done it before, it can be so terrifying. And so I encourage you to seek out trained professionals to help you to sit with you in safe space. Um, I love, love, love chatting with people around 
these stories and places where we feel less than, where we feel ashamed and we feel scared um, because I've had had to do the work in my own life to step into my power to decide that shame doesn't get to have a handle on my life and I get to take my power back. So if you want to jump on the phone, please, please take me up on the offer to sit with you for 30 minutes. I would love it. Um, So please know that you are not alone. You are loved and cared for deeply. And each of these four women are leading the path this season of showing what it is to be vulnerable, of what it is to be brave, and to give you stories and tools to know that you too can set yourself free. So can't wait for you to join us for the rest of this season. So excited and grateful. And we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here supporting me and supporting these incredibly brave guests. If you can do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please go leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free session to as a thank you for listening. One thing I know for certain in this lifetime is that we will forever be as sick as our secrets. Shame has no ability to grow when we share our stories in safe places. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up and help all of us know that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com grab your free journal and book a free 30 minute call with me to talk about the number one mindset block stopping you from the life you want and one thing you can do this week to shift it. Thanks again for being here and we will see you next week.